What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Shannon Smith Shooting Podcast. Thanks for joining us again. I think we're up to episode 10 now. Pretty crazy. I appreciate all you guys listening, as always. I appreciate your comments on uh, various social media outlets, uh, Facebook and and through the website. As always, let me know if you've got any questions you'd like me to talk about on the show. I've got uh, a few in the queue, some waiting for me to get to. I I try to... uh, make them correlate or, or be related to whatever I happen to be talking about that week anyway. So the show has a little bit flow to it and kind of makes sense, but doesn't always have to be the case. So be sure and fire off uh, whatever question you might have, whether it's something about what I've been talking about recently or, or something totally different. Uh, I'm going to start off today with a little self-defense talk. Uh, there was a story, as most of you probably know, but I live in Florida, uh, not too far from the attractions. Um, the Orlando area. There was a story not too long ago, the headline I saw on, on Facebook, a uh, man arrested at Disney uh, for carrying a firearm and detained. Um, the The story was a, was a quick news blurb story, but it read that he cleared through security, um, or, or sorry, cleared through the ticket gate, and then there was an additional line of security, and he was going to get wanded and before he got wanted, he approached the the security officer or the security guard and said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm carrying a, a firearm. They contacted law enforcement, and then he was arrested and detained and firearm confiscated. So that kind of caught my attention because I was always under the impression, and this is obviously these are state-by-state laws, so if you are not in Florida, then check your own, your own state laws. But my understanding in, in Florida, and I teach the concealed carry course, not super regularly, but I used to teach it very regularly. Now I teach it occasionally. My understanding was that if we're private property, for example, you you go to a storefront and you see their sign says no concealed carry firearms or no firearms or the malls or, you know, any of those places you see the signs was that it is private property and they're entitled to do whatever they want on their property. But putting up a sign doesn't make a law. So it's not illegal. And just if they find out you're carrying a firearm for whatever reason, they ask you to leave, you leave. No big deal. So that kind of sparked my interest. And then, I don't know, something came up, probably a match. I was busy and, and kind of got away from it. So I went back just recently. And this was maybe, I don't know, three weeks ago, two weeks ago. I went back and actually did a little research on it uh, today or yesterday. And so it turns out the guy was from Louisiana and did not have a concealed carry permit. So all that makes you know makes sense now. Obviously, if you're carrying a concealed firearm without a, without a legal permit, that is against the law. And that's why he was detained. I didn't see the final follow-up if he got out or, or what the deal was, but it was Walt Disney World here in Florida. And they're, they've been getting more stringent, I guess I could say, on, on their security measures. I don't, I'm not an attraction guy. We don't really go to them that often. Uh, occasionally we do, and I've almost every time carried into the parks and uh, – Actually, the last time we went to one, the kind of the same scenario happened. We cleared through the gate, and fortunately, I saw ahead that there was um, a line of folks randomly wanting people, and so it was no big deal. I turned around, went back to the car, and got rid of the gun, came back, and of course, I got selected for random wanting. 
uh, and no problems. There was a, uh, a uniformed officer on duty that was uh, not part of the wanting process. He was just standing over, over the side, I assume employed by the park uh, as additional security. So on the way out, I went up and asked him and said, hey, you know, what's the deal? I'm, I'm not carrying, but, you know, if I were, are you allowed to carry in here? And, and he said, no, they don't allow it. And I said, but is it illegal? And he said, no, it's not illegal. They just, they don't allow it, so you can't. So pretty much in line with, with uh, my understanding. So the question is, are you going to get caught or not? And more and more of the parks here in the Florida area are, are they're doing wanding. They, they, you know, they call it random wanding, but I'm sure they see a big gruff-looking dude coming through. He's going to be, quote-unquote, randomly selected. Now, they don't have, you know, full-on metal detectors yet that I've seen. Um, and again, I don't go, I don't go very often. I'm not a big people person, not a big crowd person, so I don't, don't care to go to them anyway. But it's nice to know what the deal is uh, if you are. Uh, separate but related note, I got pulled over the other night, so that was pretty exciting. Coming in from work after a match, it wasn't real late, I don't know, 7 o'clock maybe? It, it was dark, but but not late. Stopped for dinner on the way home, little small town uh, before you get to the small town that I live in. And doing the speed limit, I mean, no, I know I wasn't doing anything wrong, bam, lights hit me. Pulled over, of course, freaking out just a little bit. Um, turns out my tag light was out so who knows how long that's been out could have been out for 10 years for all i know but um if it just recently went out i drive a 12 year old truck so it's a pretty damn awesome light bulb if it made it 12 years but anyway so the guy comes up i um i rolled down my i have a four-door truck i rolled down my rear driver's side window and my passenger side or and my driver's side window uh, and I, that's something I've done for a while, not that I get pulled over a lot, but um, it just, I think it puts in a little bit of ease. My windows are tinted. I mean, everybody, everybody in Florida, your windows are tinted, and it's dark out. So, you know, these guys can't see in the vehicle at all when they're walking up, and that's just going to put them a little bit more on edge, in my opinion, if I were one of them. So, I, you know, I rolled down both windows, so it allows light in the truck. You can see had the um, my both hands forward of the of the steering wheel, basically my, my wrists setting on the steering wheel, you know, so you could clearly see the hands, and totally cool dude. Uh, and first thing he said was, yeah, "Relax, man. Put your hands down." <clears throat> but then he asked, "Do you do you have any firearms?" And I think I actually physically laughed because I have lots, and I you know said something like, oh, "Yeah, I got a lot," and told him I was licensed. And he asked me where they were. I told him, but you know, totally chill. Took took my license. Uh, didn't take registration. Didn't take insurance. And walked back. Said leave your firearms where they're at and uh, I said no problem officer ran back I, I assume ran my stuff and came back came my license and said I'd have a good night so you know not being a cop but I I reckon that they're you know looking for an excuse to pull somebody over and then see if there's something we're digging for if I don't know you got warrants or they smell weed or whatever might whatever might happen but you know I've said before I think they've got a sixth sense about them and because if, um, you know, I told him I was carrying firearms. And, oh, and, and I gave him my concealed carry license, too, when I handed him my driver's license. Oh, they didn't ask for it. Um, but, I mean, I think if they see you're cool and they can, you know, they can tell you're cool, you're not nervous, you're not twitchy or whatever the types of things they're looking for, then no big deal. And uh, and it was no big deal. He was totally fine about it. Didn't even get a ticket, so that was nice. And, and got my tag lights replaced that week. 
for four dollars and eighty one cents at AutoZone. And could have cost me whatever kind of ticket that would be. I'm sure it's more than four dollars. Sorry, cigar lighting operations. Um, so somebody else brought up the fact about your concealed carry draw and how often do you practice that? Wasn't really a formal question. Just some guy and I were talking one day, and um, I, you know, I carry ninety nine point nine percent of the time anywhere I'm legally allowed to, and some places I'm not. Uh, I carry, and you know, I probably practice my draw stroke from the concealed carry position maybe two times a week uh, and I do it live with a live gun so I don't know that I would recommend that if you're not very well versed in firearms handling but you know when I come home from wherever I've been maybe a couple a couple three times a week as I go to put the gun away where I keep it and I'll draw it as I'm as I'm approaching obviously I'm fully aware of the guns live and um, you know not not engaging targets many stretch of the imagination but it's one thing to get on the range have your gear situated, have your shirt properly bloused, and you know you're ready to draw, and you practice your 10 or 15 draws and, and see how it goes. It's another thing to do it after you've had the gun on for 3, 4, 6, 10 hours, and you've been sitting in the car, out of the car, bending over, standing up, it's shifted around 10 times, uh, your shirt's buckled under, or however it normally gets. You know, then see what your draw strokes like. Then see the, the orientation of the butt of your handgun as it shifted in. It is a little different. And so I like to do that just to, and uh, further, I often I often carry inside the waistband without a belt. It's a blade tech uh, inside the waistband holster. It's got a little hooky, notchy thingy on it that, you know, that's meant to to catch your belt. But I've also found that it catch your it catches your clothing very well too. Um, so maybe while I wouldn't recommend that, again, I live in Florida. You know, we're wearing shorts or cargo shorts or something and a t-shirt 95% of the time uh, with no belt and uh, it almost always works fine I'm, I wouldn't lie to you I've had a couple of times where the whole holster will come out and again that's after you know wearing around all day long I'm sure it's worked its way up a little bit and it just happens but you know being aware that, that could happen and, and paying attention to what's going on and that oh yeah the holster is still attached that type of thing uh, those are the types of things you're going to learn when I think you draw from a um, from a position where the gun's been there for for the length of the day instead of just sitting there practicing draw with your your 511 pants and your wilderness tactical belt and, and your uh, your double extra large shirt that you don't really wear when you're walking around. So I'm a big fan of that. Uh, we also have a a DPL, what I call a DPL match, USA DPL, Universal Shooting Academy's Defensive Pistol League. I started it last year, and it's it's really been going gangbusters. And it's a you know, practical shooting match, a small, I think, lower intimidation level. Uh, stages are smaller, round counts lower. You know, I'm not going to call it training. It's not it's not set up to be real world training, but it is geared towards what I think your average person carries on an everyday basis. So I set it up to give myself a chance to go shoot my 380 from concealed um, in a somewhat competitive environment. So stages are, you know, sometimes two or three rounds. Sometimes it might be eight or ten, maybe twelve, but really don't get any anything bigger than that. We shoot five stages, and, and the whole match is 50 rounds. So the stages are averaging, you know, somewhere in the in the six to eight round, um, not more than ten round range. 
Uh, it's also set up for a an opportunity for a newer shooter to get involved in competition, again, on a lower intimidation level. So we allow people to shoot anything. If you've got a, a safe gun and a safe way to carry it, uh, we, we pretty much either have a division for you or I'll make a division for you. you know, we want to get people out there shooting, having a good time, getting involved in the sports. And if they like it, maybe they turn into a, a USPSA shooter, or an IPSC shooter, or a three-gun shooter, or you know something where you come out to USPSA match for the first time, yeah, it's pretty damn intimidating. You come out to a three-gun match for the first time, it's really damn intimidating. So this gives them a chance to to wet their whistle, if you will, in, in a competitive environment. Um, so it's good from that aspect, too. And it probably has been more successful, honestly, in that aspect. But the main reason I really like it is it allows you to use your real gun, real gear, uh, real carry configuration. I mean, there's a few things we don't allow. Um, uh, cross draw, shoulder holster, smaller back, you know, any, anything where the muzzle is just in a, in a totally unsafe orientation. However, uh, we have a, what we call the bug division, uh, which is your, you know, 38s and 32s and even 380s. But, you know, if you don't have a holster uh, in, in how you carry, if you carry out of your purse or out of your backpack or your briefcase or whatever, we get, you know, you can, or in this case, shoulder holster, you can bring it to the line in that configuration unloaded. You can get at least a draw stroke from that configuration. Then we load you and you start from the low ready. So you still get to shoot your, you know, real gun, real ammo, real stuff. You're just not going to run a, not going to get a lot of draw reps out of your Miami Vice shoulder holster. So get over it. You have to go practice that on your own time. But it, that is a good, great opportunity. We actually got coming up one, one coming up here at the end of the month, and I haven't shot one in a few months. So I'm looking forward to, to blowing the dust out of the, out of the Glock 42 and and giving that a go. So be sure you're practicing on your your self defense stuff. Pay attention to to what's going on and you know, knowing what you can and can't do. You can never brush up on the rules and regulations too much and uh, certainly can never practice too much. On to some match stuff. Uh, we just finished. Holy cow, we just finished a shitload of matches. I think the last time we talked, we, had, we were uh, right at the, the USPSA Nationals or just finished them up. I, I forget our last episode, but we had the IPSC Nationals, uh, two USPSA Nationals, then we had the Monster Match, uh, and then we had the IRC. So the monster match is pretty cool. If you guys haven't seen that, if you're a competitive type shooter, uh, 50, so totally the opposite of the DPO, uh, 50 round stages on average, uh, eight stages, 400 plus rounds. It's it's always a pretty crazy match. I always have one crazy stage, uh, the steel stage as we call it, where I kind of sit around and come up with things that, well, damn, you never seen that before in a match. And then that sparks the idea, and we try to turn it into a try to turn it into a stage. Uh, the all steel stage is normally anywhere between fifty and seventy pieces of steel, falling steel, and it's a par time setup. So you've got X number of seconds, knock as many steel down as you can. That's your score. You knock down ten, scores ten. Uh, sorry, each steel is worth five. So you knock down ten, your score is fifty. Um, you knock down twenty, your score is hundred, etc. So it's, it's fixed time scoring for all intents and purposes, except steel's not really legal in fixed time. But we make some exceptions at the Monster Match. And it's usually something crazy. We shot out of the back of a moving golf cart one year. Uh, one year we shot off of a treadmill. A uh, moving treadmill was a shooting area. And then this year, we shot upside down. So we got a, if you've seen the video, if not, I'll link it up on, our, on the website. But we got a, one of those 
uh, what do you call it? inversion table <clears throat> inversion table things. We actually built one to begin with because we're cheap bastards and end up spending probably three times what we would have if we just bought one to begin with, and uh, so we ended up getting a real one. And that way, just it worked way better, and just in terms of ease of getting in, getting out, getting set up, and et cetera. So you were totally totally upside down. Uh, the gun was loaded on a table um, above you, technically, because you're you're upside down, so it was technically sitting right above your head. Obviously, you can't really draw in that configuration. Uh, so you pick the gun up off the table and get jiggy. Uh, reloads could come off the table. You could have your magazine stashed on the table or, or, or um, staged on the table, or you could have them in your belt. I'd say 95% of the people had them on the table or more. Uh, so the reload's a little weird, trying to figure out how to get the mag out of the gun when you're upside down and uh, getting the mag back in was weird. But the actual shooting aspect wasn't nearly as weird as you would think. Um, you know, a little disorientating for a bit, but once you got a couple rounds down range and you realize, huh, you put the sight on the target and the target falls down, sight's not on the target, the target does not fall down. And I think probably with a... Uh, 2% exception, everybody that came up said one of two things. Can I go again? Or it wasn't that bad. So it was fun. And that's, you know, that's the point of the of the sport. This is, especially the monster match, it's, it's totally a game. We're out there to have fun. Again, no different than Disney World. You come to an attraction to have a good time. Um, I enjoyed the internet comments. I don't get involved in fighting on the internet, but I try to read a lot of them, especially if they're talking about me. So that was pretty funny. Everybody freaking out. It's too dangerous and going to slow the match down and it's going to run 15 minutes per shooter and um i've been to two rodeos before so i've got a fair good idea of of what's going on and i couldn't i couldn't fill a thimble what the fucks i give about people that didn't shoot the match you know if it's a customer to come out there and shoots with us i'm certainly care about your opinion i want to make the matches better um if you're just an internet rodeo that never goes out and competes i could care less but it's fun to, it's fun to read them, nonetheless I think everybody had a good good match. Everybody had a good time. Um, Match-wise, from an administrative standpoint, match was flawless, uh, on time, weather was perfect. So everything everything went good. Awards were awards were relatively quick, and we were out of there relatively early. So all, all in all, good match. Uh, then we just had the IRC, the International Revolver Championship, uh, that finished up last weekend. And first one of those I've been to, we've... Um, Worked out the contract with them last year for them to come here. They've been in California for 20-plus years or something. It's been a long, pretty much ever since the match has been around, as far as I know. It's been over there. So this is the first time moving it to our place. Um, so really not, not really known what I was doing revolver-wise or you know what they were looking for or what they wanted. They Part of the reason they wanted to move it to, to our facility was to get a clean break on the match, get a new perspective on it. And uh, I mentioned this the way at the awards, but I told him, well, you're going to get that because I've never seen a revolver match in my life. Um, so I hope, hope everybody had a good time. A lot of the feedback I got from it was good. I shot in their, what they call their limited to six division. Uh, they've, you know, all the, the revolver guys have gone to eight rounds now pretty much. Uh, that happened in USPSA and uh, it happened in I-Corps before that. And it's really just killed off the six shooters. I mean, nobody really shoots a six-round revolver anymore, as ironic as that sounds, which I don't particularly care um care for or agree with but for the guy that shoots the revolver maybe once or twice every five years they're they're obviously not marketing to me and uh the masses want the eight rounders so that's what they've gone to but they still do have a division 
uh, called Limited Six. That's your old 45 ACP revolver, uh, 625 in my case. And that's what, you know, if you shot revolvers in USPSA back in the day, as they say, that's what everybody shot. I mean, we all shot 625s and, and 45 ACP, moon clip gun. Uh, you get major scoring. Uh, and I shot my fair amount of revolver um, way back when. Cigar litation pause. I shot my fair share revolver years ago, and I didn't suck too bad, but haven't really shot it much. I, I've shot the revolver nationals the last couple of years, but again, they've gone to the eight rounders, and it's just tough to, well, impossible to compete if you're not running an eight rounder. But I've shot it nonetheless. It's fun to shoot, and so I shot. I thought I'd I'd shoot it in this, so I joined I Corps on the Wednesday before the match started, I think, or maybe the Thursday before the match started, and ended up winning the division. So you can add, or I can add, international revolver champion to my resume, albeit in the smallest division. I think there was 20 or 25 people in the whole division, but I can't control that. But I had a good time shooting, and their scoring system is vastly different than, than USPSA. They run time plus, which is pretty common, and uh, IDPA is similar, three gun is similar, but their um, their peripheral hits or their their penalties for not hitting the center are are high. If their their A ring, what they call the A ring is or A zone, is an eight inch circle. I think it's eight inch circle. Probably should check that. Eight or six, but I think it's eight. And then they have an X ring in the middle of that, which is I think four inches. Then outside the A ring, they have a what they call or outside the A zone, they have a B zone, which is maybe ten or twelve, and then you got the rest of the target, which is they call the C zone, and they run the. If you've seen, a, everybody slang calls them the, the tombstone targets, but it's the NRA D1 targets, the same targets they use for Bianchi, although it doesn't have the, the Bianchi's gone to the black circle in the middle. Uh, Icor does not use that, but it's uh, the tombstone targets. <clears throat> basically, so it basically it has a bullseye in the middle, and it's pretty much dead square. Again, I didn't measure it, but it's pretty much dead dead square in the middle of the target. And you can't really see the perfs at distance, you know, so you kind of got to know, have a feel for where the middle is. But everybody was telling me when I was, well, when they found out I was shooting, is how different it is from USPSA in terms of the accuracy requirements. I mean, number one, you're almost always, you almost never have an extra round to give, especially when you're shooting six rounds like I was. Uh, and for peripheral hits are so, are, are, are so um, penal time-wise, that you've really got to, air quote, take your time and make sure you're hitting in the middle. So I took it to heart. I mean, if guys, you know, guys know better than me uh, how to play the match, then I, I tried to pay attention. And, man, is it frustrating aiming so hard at a seven-yard target. <laughs> but, I mean, the targets are massive. They're, they're bigger than a USPSA target in, in total size, but only the middle matters. So you're, you know, really aiming at, the, at a much smaller target than it appears um, – at close distance, but you just can't afford to trigger the gun fast uh, and drop a drop a B or or heck a C hit. And so I ended up I think four or five C's on the match, and there was a lot of moving targets, swingers, sliders. I mean all the same stuff we use in our matches. So it was uh, not a, not an easy match in my opinion, but um, I had you know relatively good accuracy I think, and it was enough to end up winning the winning the division. So that was pretty cool. Uh, so that kind of ties us into. Our question for the week, 
for the podcast, I should say. Let me read the read the question to you. This was this was pinging off of one of the last episodes when I was talking about my performance in the past nationals and what I call the juice. And the juice is that nervousness you feel when you get fired up before the start of a match or before a stage. And and how do you how do you deal with that? His question says, "I'd like to know if you mentally or strategically change anything to shoot well." in that juice, especially the first stage or the last stage of the match, knowing that you may win. Um, so a good question. Uh, he didn't he didn't leave his name or I didn't write it down, one or the other, but a uh, good question. And uh, I don't know that there's anything I really do, um, but I think you manage and you learn uh, how to perform within that. I mean, you kind of know, you know, you know what's going to happen, at least I do. I, I you know, I get nervous at the start of every big match, and you know, all pressure is self-induced. So you, you know, you put the pressure upon yourself um, in accordance with your expectations. If if it's a match you feel like you should do well at, or the match you feel like you should win, or you've been training a lot for this particular match, then yeah, you're building up the pressure on yourself. Uh, and there's, and I'm not saying that's good or bad. It's just the way it is. But if you go to like a local match, for example, or a you know, if you got weeknight matches where you go, a Tuesday night match or something like that, maybe you don't feel anything. Well, that's kind of telling you that, that you're learning. I mean, the very first time you came out to USPSA match or a competition of, of some sort ever, I'll bet you felt pretty nervous, even if it was a local little who cares match. But over time, that goes away because now you don't care about your performance so much at that match. Maybe you're just there to have a good time, hang out with the guys or you're there to train a certain aspect or you're there to work on uh, work on speed this time or work on accuracy that time or or something but your focus is not on your performance level and, and your anticip or your expectations are not how you're going to finish in the match well then you turn around and go to an area championship state championship national championship well now you want to do well so that's when that pressure starts to come in and the more you get into that the more you put yourself in that situation the better off you're going to perform under it uh, I still, I'm not saying it's going to go away. I don't know that it does, and I don't know that you want it to. I mentioned that before. I mean, part of that adrenaline, part of that juice is the reason we play the game. And if I never felt that again, I don't know if I'd do it anymore. Maybe, maybe I would. I don't know. But, you know, if guys say they don't get nervous at all, I'm not so sure I believe them, or they don't give a shit about how they're performing. So what happened to me when I first started, especially in one of the big, you know, national-level matches, was I had this expectation or this thought that, all right, don't look like an idiot. You know, I want to come here, have a pretty good performance. You know, I've been, I was starting to train folks for a living at the time. So you don't want to come to national championship and finish a hundredth. So I was looking for, you know, top 10, top eight, top 16, just depending on the, the type of match and the level of competition. But I wanted a good, solid performance. And that is the key. I, I didn't come in there with the mentality that I want to win. I came in there with the mentality that I want to do well, good, solid performance, um, you know, get a couple good stages in our belt, get this thing rolling, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, it worked okay, but my skill set was such that I was probably good enough to win way earlier than I, than I gave myself credit for. But because I had that um, let's ease into it and, and not throw it away on the first stage and et cetera, et cetera mentality, then you, you never, you're never giving yourself a chance. Well, eventually, as time goes on, I've got plenty of top 10 finishes. I've got plenty of top five finishes. Uh, after a while, 
you don't, you don't, I didn't care anymore. I shouldn't say you, my, myself, I don't, I didn't care anymore about if I finished 10th or not. I wanted to win the son of a bitch. And that's when you're really allowing yourself to let go and have at it. And, but that also changes the dynamic or the, the way in which I was going to attack the match. So, for example, I've told this story in my classes, but uh, I talked about that juice. You know, I used to just that. I'd come into a match with the mentality of, all right, let's get this first stage under our belt. Let's do well. Don't be an idiot. No misses, et cetera. And it would go as I planned. But then later on, I'd look in the results, especially if it was like an area match where they don't have a super squad and your, your competitors are coming to that stage at a different time in the match, maybe even on a different day in the match. And I was getting smoked on that stage. And I got to looking at it, and I was just too slow. I mean, even if I had solid points, if you're three seconds, four seconds off the pace, I mean, hell, that doesn't do you any good. And the reason was I was starting that stage with the mentality of, all right, ease into it, let's get a good start, blah, 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 where my competition, whether they were hitting that stage first or they were hitting it later on in the match, regardless, they were coming at it with, I'm going to kick this stage in the ass mentality, and they did just that. And it took me for a while to figure that out, but... You just can't, I mean, at the levels that we're trying to compete, uh, and probably this is true if you're competing for high A or, or high D or, or to win the match, you can't come out half-assed. I mean, you've got to come at it 100%. And, that you know, we've talked about match speed before um, in, in the last podcast, but you can't, especially in like a USPSA-style competition, you know, you've got to attack every stage like it's for the win. Now, I'm not saying shoot like an idiot. I'm not saying shoot 110%. I'm saying you've got to have that match speed that's required to win. Again, whether that's win C or win the match, you've got to come out with that from the get-go, from from square one. And, you know, back to the question, how do you manage that or, or how do you perform like that? And I don't know that I have a good answer other than experience. You know, you learn, you learn what it's like to perform under that pressure. Um, you learn what it's like to see your sights properly under that pressure. And, again, like I said, it ain't going to go away. It's just how you manage it and, and uh, how you perform. So take the IRC, for example, that I was just talking about. Um, I don't really recall feeling much, feeling a whole lot of juice in that match, and I'm not sure why. I mean, part of it, I was a match director, so, you know, my main concern was the, the flow of the match and running a good match. Uh, part of it was I didn't honestly have an expectation to win. Part of it was I didn't honestly care if I won. I mean, I was just there to shoot revolver with a buddy of mine um, and have a good time. Good weather, go out and shoot, have fun. Main focus on running the match. And I just did what, what my peers told me. And they said, hey, dumbass, you got to hit the middle on this on this game. Don't just fling rounds. So I thought, all right, well, I'll just go out and hit the middle and see what happens. And it was good enough to win. But, um, but again, that's different because I didn't feel that level of uh, that didn't feel a level of pressure because I hadn't put expectations upon myself. So I would think, again, to answer the question, that the, you know, the more times you can put yourself in that position, and you know, I was never really, I never honestly did this a lot, but a lot of the mental health books will tell you that you know you can train yourself or try to train in putting expectations on yourself on a on a smaller uh, importance match. So whether it's a Sunday afternoon local, you know, try to hype yourself up, try to put, get yourself in that mindset that, hey, this is it. This is the national championship. I'm, I'm 10 points up going for the win on the last stage and, or I'm 10 points down going for the win on the last stage because you're going to shoot that stage differently based on that. 
Uh, you, can, you know, you can play some mental games with yourself and try to put yourself into that position. So if that answers your question, um, one more match note that is announced. USPSA is coming back to Universal Shooting Academy in March of next year, so it'll be at early nationals. So we're at, uh, at Universal. As you, you guys know, I work over there, so we're, we're certainly happy to have them back. That's created some internet butthurt too, but they'll get over it or they won't come. Either way, that's cool. But we're going to put on an awesome match. It's, it's uh, Optics Nationals, they're calling it. So Carry Optics, um, Open, and PCC. So that should be a that should be a fun dynamic to have those guns together, and then always training. I've got my major max schedule over for the year. Uh, of course, it starts up here pretty quick with a, we got the state championship in January and the Florida Open in February. But I am available for training, so you can always contact me through the website Shannon Smith Shooting or on Facebook at Shannon Smith Shooting. And uh, remember, have gun while travel. So you want to set up a class and have me come to your area. Uh, give me a holler for that. We we do good deals for for our liaison up there that puts us to get puts it together for us, and I'll be happy to to spell that out for you if you're interested. In the meantime, I should be back with you before Thanksgiving, I think. But if not, have a good Thanksgiving and see you guys on the range.